glad that you're here. It is July 5th, and it's our time to come and meet together and worship our Lord and Savior as a church and to stand as a body of believers and as a bride of Christ. So if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, I'll read two different passages to you, both coming out of Psalm. The first one is Psalm 33, verse 12. It says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And we'll go to the left a little bit to Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2. And it says here, Psalm from David, The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and all those who dwell therein. For He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. God is Creator. God is the Lord. Let's go to His name in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to You this morning. We come to You begging for mercy, pleading for Your grace, and that we come to the throne of all thrones because there is no other throne but Yours, and that we may obtain mercy and grace in our time of need. Lord, we thank You that You have provided grace for this nation in which we live in, by which we call home, and that we love so dearly. We also know that it's by Your mercy that we haven't been wiped out either. And Lord, we pray for those who are righteous, that we profess to be righteous, that we would live that righteousness out before others every day. Lord, may the meditation of our heart and the words of our mouth be acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Remain standing. Amen. We're going to start off this morning with 129, Sing to the King. Thank you. 
one of the hymns that speaks to me in so many different applications is Be Thou My Vision. And for me, it's a reminder that it's not about what I want. It's not about what my plans are, what my kingdom is all about. But instead, it's about His kingdom and His righteousness. And to make Him our vision. Be Thou My Vision, 83.
who happen to be grandchildren or you have neighbors that normally come to our VBS. Well, we're doing a little bit different this year, going virtual with it. And you can hand this to them and it will give them instructions. If that's a little bit unclear, just call Tanya and she'll get you headed in the right direction. So I think it's pretty clear, but you know, you like me sometimes, I need somebody to help guide me in the process. And need to be registered by July 10th because there are packets that will be handed out next Sunday morning for the virtual PBS. Um, at this time, I'll ask Mr. Brandon, he wanted to talk just for a few minutes, wanted to share, I guess, a little bit from his experience this week. And come share, brother. following the leadership of the Holy Spirit and that's my intentions all the way to follow that leadership and as I tell you what I'm fixing to tell you I want you to go back in your lifetime and remember things in your lifetime that beset you and things that was out of the ordinary that happened in your lifetime and what did you get from them how did you profit how did you deal with them Going back to 2005 was the worst year in my lifetime. I had a heart attack in January of 05 that has changed my life since. I lost two aunts that year. And all of you know that Katrina come in August of that year. That forever changed all of our lives. But if there are some positives, you and I need to, what, what I really want you to do this morning is get the positive things from the things that beset us in life. When Katrina come, you and I had to get out of our comfort zone. We, we had to make changes in life. I had to make changes in life when I had a heart attack. And been making them ever since. And what we do with those changes affects the way you and I live and it affects our relationship with God every day. Looking back to March this year, I lost my mother the second day of March this year. And then the coronavirus also started in March of this year. And my life and your life has been changed since. It may not never be the same from here on out. I don't know. I can only talk about it right now. But you and I need to get the positive away from those things that besets us from day to day. I can think of at least two that you should have already gotten from the coronavirus that we're out of our comfort zone. Me and you really love that comfort zone. We don't want nobody to bother us in that comfort zone. We lay in that thing, we walk in that thing, we sleep in it, and we don't want nobody to bother us when we're in our comfort zone. 
But bless your heart, God has a way of getting us out of our comfort zone. But the second thing that men you should have got out of that is we need to be praying more and studying our Bibles more every day that we live because of the coronavirus. And not just because of the coronavirus, but who God is and what He means in mine and your life every day that we live. Now, there are people in the world that think just because that clock is ticking, you listen to me now, when the clock is ticking, they think things happen. They believe that. The clock's ticking, things don't happen. But I'm going to tell you something. They don't nothing in this world happen unless God lets it happen, makes it happen, allows it to happen, or He's got somebody already programmed to make it happen. And what me and you get from those things, we can, we can get a positive out of it. We can stay on the negative side all the time. And there's some people that just love the negative side. But bless your heart, if you're saved, you should be on the positive side. You should be praying more. I'm going to tell you something. When I get up in the morning, the first hour of the day is the best day of my life. I get up and eat breakfast. I put on the coffee pot and I drink my two cups of coffee. And I read my Bible and I talk to the Lord. That's the best hour of my day. I was reminded this past Monday of my circumstance of life. I spent from 6.30 to 3.30 in the hospital. I got some choices to make. And God not only told me about these choices that I got to make, but He showed me these choices that I have to make. I already know what they are. So all of us, as we go through life, we need to get out. It's a good thing for us to get out of our comfort zone. It's a good thing. We need to be praying more. We need to be studying our, the, the Bible more. We need to be talking to the Lord more. And get out of our comfort zone and get to doing what God would have us to do every day that we live. Because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. It may be worse than the coronavirus, for all we know. But God has a way of getting our attention. In all of this, we need to find out. We find out a lot of things that God, even though He brings tragedy, tragedies, He still loves us. He's still going to bring us through this. And we're going to be victors in the end. So, you and I don't need to walk around with a sad face. We need to have a smile on it because we know God. And He's the one in the control, not us. Thank you, Mr. Bramley, for sharing that with us. Thank you. Yeah, I'm 
Chairman General Mike, I thank you for sharing and encouraging us, but also challenging us as well. Uh, if you would take your copy of God's Word, look with me in Romans chapter 6. What Mr. Brandley was saying went right along with what we looked at God's Word last week about the negative aspect out in the world. And I want to feed you that flesh part of what we talked about. You can go back on Facebook, I guess, and, and um, look at that message from last week that anxiety is not supposed to be part of our spiritual DNA. Even though there are events that come in our life, they don't have to own us. We can allow Christ to work through them. Uh, this is what I wanted to preach last week. And I felt like this was well, not where we needed to go last week, but I believe this is where we need to be this week. And there's a lot of biblical truths here. I guess if you were at a table to eat, it would be a huge buffet. And it would be way more than you could take in, than all of us could take in. There are biblical scholars that have studied Romans for a great deal of their spiritual life and are still studying and still growing in what's written in this theological letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. And I want us to look here in Romans chapter 6 in verses 19 through 21 and hopefully condense what Paul is saying here in chapter 6 to these verses even though we will look at different other parts of the chapter as well. And I want to read it and allow you to follow along with me. And if you're able to stand, physically stand, that's good. If not, that's alright. We're not living in legalism. So if you can physically stand for the reading of God's Word, we'll read Romans chapter 6, verses 19 through 22. I said 21 earlier, but it'd be 22. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard of righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves to God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Heavenly Father, as we have taken in Your Word, your word is not going to return void. It will accomplish what it needs to accomplish this morning. It is fire. It is a hammer. It is sweet as honey. And it is a sword. Lord, this is your word. May we eat of it. May we heed it. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Can you turn it just up just a hair? The congregation is going, no, we're here to blame In Romans chapter 6, as we're thinking on the hills of July 4th, our nation's birthday, a nation that we love so dearly, the land that we love so dearly, 
that we can go on vacation from year after year after year and not get the same place in America. And it is a vast land area from the Gulf of Mexico to Mount Rushmore, from Death Valley to Mount Whitney, all the way over to the East Coast that we see in South Carolina. It's the land that we love so much. It's the land that people came across the ocean looking for religious freedom and then established this country and then brought forth the Constitution, the guide by which we are to follow. I mean, my mind can't understand how knowledgeable people were at that time to set up what we now as the Constitution, the preamble, the Bill of Rights. and I mean, this was back in the 1700s. Because this mind could not write that. And it has still governed our society. And as you look at the lens of our nation's birthday, was it 244 years of age? And I want us to look through the lens of the Gospel, of the Word of God, by which all liberty comes in, in which all men are able to be set free. So we get into the title of today's message, looking at a biblical world view of freedom. Is that I was once a slave to sin, and now I'm a slave of righteousness. I'm looking at this from a biblical standpoint, that I once was a slave to sin. Now I'm a slave to God. I'm a slave of righteousness. And so as we look at these two areas, they all have the same elements. They have a status, they have a result, and they have an outcome. And all is based on the Scripture that we have right here. So let's begin with the status of looking at what life was as a slave to sins. We're looking at this biblical worldview of freedom. That freedom can only come through Christ. That is the true spiritual freedom. As we read here in verse 20, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So we see first of all the status and the status is a slaves of sin. That's what it says in verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were owned by sin. You were owned by your own temptations. You were owned by the own tyranny of the sin that was unmerciful in your life, moving you to more and more lawlessness. As Paul was writing this, to the church there in Rome. And when he would say such a word as slave of sin, this would wake them up a little bit to remind them of the culture in which they lived. Because there were 63 million Roman slaves in the Roman Empire. 63 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And the way a person became a slave in the Roman Empire is because of piracy, kidnapping, conviction of a crime, default on a debt, if you were captured in a war, 
or if you were sold as a slave by destitute parents. That would put you as a slave among 63 million slaves in the Roman Empire. So Paul is saying here, thinking about life in the past, he said this was your status. Your status was this, it says in verse 20, that you were a slave to sin. There was this endless pit of the flesh that kept moving for more and more ungodly desires that never found a cap, never found the bottom. And this tyranny of this unmerciful tyrant moved you from wrong desires to wrong deeds. It was to fulfill this lawless act that was built into you. And then there came a result. In that result, it says in verse 21, not only was the status of slaves to sin, but it says here in verse 21, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? I've learned through experience, not that we're bad housekeepers. I opened the crisper yesterday or the day before and there were some vegetables in there that was rotten. And it wasn't just one, it was a bunch. Threw it out, had to get bleached, cleaned it up, washed it up good. But this is what it's speaking of here. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? We're speaking of everything of our past was dead fruit. There was nothing of beauty about it. We recognize we came in this world because God is our Creator. And it says over in Galatians, as Paul would write, in another letter, a smaller version of Romans. It says in Galatians chapter 5, speaking about dead fruit. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. These are all describing the fruits of the flesh. They're all describing things that we're ashamed of. I look back and I think back to my life before Christ and my parents that raised me to have good manners, raised me to have godly values, um, extended family members that taught me, yes sir, yes ma'am, no sir, no ma'am, taught me, me to open the door for people, just need to be courteous. There's been other people in my life, from Sunday school teachers to people within the body of Christ who have taught me how to be a disciplined worker, how to put forth your best effort, uh, how to get rewards for your labor, and those have been very valuable people. But there are many things that I look back to my life before Christ. And I'm ashamed of them. We have talked about this before that thank the Lord that He doesn't go on the big sky tram on their M.M. Roberts Stadium and show everything of our past that has been sinful. I would be there a while. You would be there a while because of me. 
And so I'm not um, happy about my past. I'm ashamed of my past. There were some nice deeds that I did. I was courteous, but I knew that there were times in my heart I knew how to work the system. I knew what it was like to work the system when you're the only grandchild on one side of the family. I knew what it was like to covet. I knew what it was like to have idolatry. And I look back at all of that, and I'm ashamed of it. I'm ashamed of my actions. I'm ashamed of my deeds. And just dead fruit all around. There was something that caught my attention as a teenager. It was reading through the Word of God. And I was reading through, I believe, the living, New Living Paraphrase version at the time. And there was a scripture that just jumped out at me. And I believe it was 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. And because of the godly influence that was around me, the truth that I was hearing every once in a while, that it created a strong conscience in me that there were certain things that physically I did not want to do. And this scripture helped navigate my life. Even though I was not born again, but it helped navigate my life and morality. Still dead to sin, but still trying to live a good moral life. And so there, the status in which we have, and it says that in verse 20, a slave to sin. And there is a result to all this, and it's the fruit by which we were ashamed of. But there's an outcome. And it says for us there, it says, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Sin pays wages. It says that in verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. And there's coming for unbelievers in Revelation chapter 21. Following a interlude in which the unbelievers will stand before God at the great white throne. There will be books that will be opened. Works will be looked upon. Deeds will be seen. And degrees of judgment will be ministered out by God. And all those who are unbelievers by which He is judging with His righteous judgment, that death and Hades will be cast into the lake of fire. And it says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So not only is there a physical death, but there is a second death coming to unbelievers. There is a status by which they hold. And that status is they are slaves to their own sin. And there's a result, this dead fruit all around, and the outcome is death, by which is the second death. So with the same framework of status, result, and outcome, it rings true with even the believer. So look with me in verse 22 about the status. But now having been set free from sin, and having become slaves 
of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Something occurred spiritually to get from verse 21 to verse 22. And it says that in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, describing a legal term by which we stand before the Father, recognizing He is God, and that His Son was our sacrifice on the cross, he was our substitutionary sacrifice. He was our atoning sacrifice. He took our place and we put all of our sins upon Him and He took a certificate of death and wiped it clean. So no longer are we a slave to our unrighteousness, slave to our sin, but now we have been set free and become slaves of God. Paul is not saying that every believer ought to be a slave to righteousness. Paul is saying every believer is a slave of righteousness. So we're looking at a biblical worldview of freedom. This is not what the world sees. But this is what we see as believers from the eyes of God and from the heart of God by which has been penned by man by the inspiration of the Spirit that Every single person, whether they're in America, whether they're in Alaska or in Antarctica, whether they're in Albania or Argentina, they're a slave. They're either a slave to their own sin or they have transferred all that to Christ and they have become a slave of God. So everyone on the face of the earth is owned. Owned by sin or owned by God? Let me look at some things that we should know. Things that we should reckon through. Look with me beginning of chapter 6. Let's look at verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Someone who is dead, who has been raised to new life, resurrection means to stand again. Someone who's moved from death to life has a new spiritual take on life, a newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, and that the body of sin might be done away, or that body of sin, that old worn out sin nature, has died, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For He who has died has been freed from sin. That word freed there means a point and continuing on. Meaning that you have identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That you've died to sin. You've been raised to new life in Christ. You have identified with Him. That is something that you and I know. But it's also something that we reckon. Look what he says here in verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon. Now this isn't a southern term. 
I know you're looking at it. It is a southern term. I reckon. I mean, everybody guilty of saying that word in here on camera, outside, downstairs, across America, you know, I reckon so. I guess so. I, you know, I guess maybe, probably so. That's not what Paul is saying here. That's not what that word means. It says here in verse 11, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That word reckon means to put into one's account. It means acting on a fact. What you and I are doing is walking around as believers, carrying around what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. So we carry around the death of Christ and the life of Christ because we are emitting an aroma of Christ, diffusing an aroma of the mysteries of Christ in every place we go. For there are those people in the world when we admit the knowledge of Christ, it is either going to be aroma of death, which they reject, or it's going to be aroma of life, which they take in, as the Word of God that will change them. So there's a status by which we hold to. And that status is that we have moved from being a slave to our sin. Now we have spiritually come through a spiritual change of repentance and faith. Now we're a slave to God and His righteousness. So there's a result to this. And it's listed for us again in verse 22. Having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. Just as a sinner continues from lawlessness to more lawlessness, so a saint progresses with his or her spiritual life to more holiness. So as a sinner moves downward and spirals even more downward, it should be the work of Christ that progresses in our life to more holiness. However, when we walk backwards in our Christian walk, our spiritual position remains the same and unchanged in Christ, but our function has changed. We're not living to our spiritual potential by which God has called us to live. It says up there in verse 13, it says in verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. And do not present your members as instruments or weapons of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments and weapons of righteousness to God. Your skills and your spiritual gifts by which God has given every believer has now become an instrument and a weapon of righteousness. It is part of our fruit. Here we go again. Put in the thumb drive. Rewind the tape. Pull this back up from your hard drive that God describes to us there's fruit in a believer's life. There's fruit of good works, the fruit of a holy life, the fruit of praise, the fruit of giving, the fruit of seeing others come to Christ, and the fruit of the Spirit. We ought to be progressing in our holiness in Christ. There's an outcome to all of this. 
There's a status by which we live that we're a slave to God. That result is a fruit of holiness and then there's an outcome. The outcome is once again in verse 22. And the end is everlasting life. We always speak of salvation and you have and I have is always present tense. Well, salvation is being justified. It moves into sanctification that one day it will be glorification. That one day there will be a resurrected body. One day this salvation will be, will be finalized. This, this salvation by which we live will have a summation to it. And that's what we're looking forward to. Paul and Peter, when they talked about this salvation, was looking, this everlasting life, they're looking to the future for it being brought all together. Paul started this section in verse 1 and verse 15 with a little Q&A. He knew what they were thinking. So he asked a question and then he came back with an answer. People who have been impacted by the presence of God, by the work of Christ on the cross and His finished work, and His Spirit convicting us, wooing us to Him, has changed our spiritual life forever. So if God has changed us forever, how can we still live like dead people in lawlessness? And this is what Paul is saying here in verses 1 and verse 15. This is what he says. What shall we say then? That's the question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And what would be your response in verse 2? Certainly not. Then he comes back and he says it in verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? And he would respond once again. Certainly not. Some people have this mindset, and I haven't looked at the Barner research on them, it probably doesn't exist, that people actually think I can go out and do anything I want as a believer because I have this grace. And since I have this grace, then that gives me freedom to do whatever I want and all i got to do is come back to God and go, I know you forgive me. That's a wrong idea about grace. It says here in chapter 5, where sin increased, what increased all the more? Grace. An individual cannot understand grace till they understand sin. Someone who has been dead, walking around on planet Earth, doing nothing but bearing bad, dead fruit, has spiritually changed from being a slave to sin to a slave of God, is not going to misuse what? The grace of God. That doesn't mean that we're not going to ever sin. That doesn't mean we won't ever make a wrong spiritual decision is the fact that it's that grace that it reminds us of what Christ has done for us. So look what the Scripture says here in verse 14. 
For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're no longer under law, but you're under grace. There is a status. There are results. And there's an outcome to both sets of the title. A slave. I was once a slave of my sin. And now I'm a slave of God. I am owned. But that owning has taken a different ownership. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes just on this moment on July 5th. Thank you so much for your attention. We're not going to have any type of physical response to the Gospel. Not just, but not in this setting. But it could be in the very heart of where you are, where you're sitting. Have you been changed by the power of God? Are you still living in the tyranny and the dictatorship of your sin? You have tried to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you have physically like moving a boulder since you can physically move that heavy object you think you can physically remove sin out of your life and to some extent maybe you have moved temptation out of your life but sin is still there you're still guilty and God is still going to judge you on your sin because you're condemned. But Christ paved the way for you to bring you liberty. And that's the greatest liberty of all is being free in Him. No longer owned by your past. No longer owned by your mess-ups and your lawless deeds. But you can transfer all of that into the mighty work of Christ. And He will give you a certificate of debt and wipe it clean and make you a slave of righteousness. Maybe that's what you need to do this morning. Turning from sin and placing your faith in the risen Savior, that will bring you eternal freedom. For those of you who have done that, the one word that we looked at in the Scripture, that we have been set free, that there is freedom. For he who has died has been freed from sin, meaning it's a point and it continues. You're still being set free. That sanctification process, that holiness, is still growing in you. You're not what you were five years ago. You're not, you're not what you were five weeks ago. But God in His work is progressing your spiritual life. What you were and what you are now. moment we're going to have
have a, a chorus by which we're going to sing or a prayer that we're going to pray corporately. And if there's a decision that you need to make, I'll be around, Jonathan will be around, Jason will be around. But if there's a spiritual decision you need to make, don't you dare leave without talking that over with someone so you'll have accountability. Heavenly Father, we come this morning thanking you so much for the spiritual life that we have in Christ. That there awaits us a home in heaven, a dwelling that you have prepared for us and for all the saints. And Lord, while we're here, we want to be obedient to you. Lord, we know that there are people that are physically maybe hurting a little bit. We lift up honor to you that you heal his jaws, that you fuse those bones together so he won't have to have another surgery. And that when he goes to the specialist in a couple weeks, there has been great progress in healing. Lord, we pray for others in our church midst who may be sick, that you would increase their immune system to fight off whatever is going on in their life and not be passed to others. For our brothers and sisters down the road, Lord, who are fighting through the corona, that you would strengthen their bodies, that you would strengthen their immune system and let them get this in the past quickly. And then, Lord, as a church, we pray that there be an end in sight quickly to this coronavirus. We're begging for your mercy that this ends. May we as believers gain as much wisdom as we can from this, Lord. But we're praying against this pandemic in your name that it stops. In your mighty name we pray, Lord Jesus. And the church said, Amen. Amen.